We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. Welcome to Overnight America with Ryan Recker. Sponsored by Michael's Flooring, the flooring experts. Michael'sFlooringOutlet.com On the voice of St. Louis, KMOX. And welcome to Overnight America. Wow, do we have a big show planned for you tonight. Oh, so much going on. It happens to be the last show of the week. Normally, we try to keep things a little more flexible, but tonight I have so many great guests booked that I think you'll just be able to sit back. You'll be able to relax and enjoy it. So Brad Young's joining us in the next segment to discuss the idea of stacking the Supreme Court. I wanted to know what him and his lawyer friends think about it. I know he talks to a lot of uh, lawyers when you're in the biz, uh, as they would say, (laughs) that it gives you that opportunity to get a really um, different opinion on it because you pay very close attention to law. So I thought, let's bring Brad on. We'll we'll talk about that because it's been in the news the last couple of days. We'll also be talking to Air Force Brigadier General Jim Demarest, and he's on a mission to try to have a Medal of Honor awarded to an unsung hero in the war in Kuwait. Interesting story of why he's going through this a mission of his own. So we'll have him on to discuss. We'll also have a former foreign correspondent, Gina Wilkinson, joining us. She spent a year and plus some time in Iraq under Saddam Hussein. And it's really interesting the things that she's documented during that time in um, in history. Now, this is also a time, keep in mind, that the United States is becoming very heavily involved in Iraq. So uh, she's going to join us for a full hour next hour. And that's just a just a taste of some of the great guests that we have scheduled here. Now, since we have such a busy show, I wanted to make sure we had another moment to really sit back and enjoy Megan Lynch's series. So she's been uh, uh, debuting these on Total Information AM. It's about the pandemic and really asking the question, when will it end? Which has the, I mean, that's the question on everyone's mind. They want to know, when is this going to end? If is it ever going to end? Are we ever going to see normal? Is there a normal? Is this the normal? Whatever it is. And there's different aspects of people's lives that have been changed because of the pandemic, including sports. In today's segment on that, here is Megan Lynch's latest series edition, When Will It End? Conquering COVID, now the latest on KMOX. 
Last spring, KMOX News reported on the measures athletic programs were trying to take to get young people back in the game during the pandemic. Parents, coaches, and players have dealt with temperature checks, limits on locker rooms, masking requirements, equipment sanitizing, travel restrictions, quarantines, cancellations, and last-minute rescheduling. As KMOX News asks, when will it end? Sports programs tell us they're prepared to do what it takes to just keep playing in the coming months. I know we're going full blow into summer basketball, but we'll keep the masks on as long as we're told we have to. And we will keep whatever procedures we have here at Kirkwood High School going because it worked. Kirkwood High School girls basketball head coach Monica Tritz doesn't want a repeat of the last year. COVID-19 interfered with not just one, but two seasons. The Kirkwood ladies were set to go to the Final Four in the spring of 2020. On the eve of the tournament, Tritz got the call her team would not be participating. Devastation doesn't describe it. I had four awesome, awesome kids that deserved to be there more than anything, uh, four seniors, and then you have to make that phone call to them. The next season was stalled as well. Tritz would typically start workouts with her new squad in the summer. Last year, those were canceled. These girls, almost all of them didn't go shoot on their own. I had probably two that I can tell you were working out. So then it's like starting over. You start from scratch where usually when you get your kids in November, you already have a base down. Once they did get back on the court, Tritz says they tested a multitude of masks and followed every guideline to ensure they could continue to play. I'm hoping next year we don't have to wear masks, but who knows what that mandate will be. I would really like to see consistency all throughout the area. Because really, you go across the river, it's different. You go to St. Louis City, it's different. You go to Jeffco, it's different. It's just St. Louis County that has their own rules. So I'd like to see consistency. I think that's fair, fair for all kids. The basketball season was disjointed at the college level as well. KMOX sports reporter Joe Pott is the voice of the Cougars at Southern Illinois University Edwardsville. They missed 35 days because of positive tests throughout the program. They had to then make all those games up, and so that caused a backlog in the schedule, and they played 18 games in 37 days. Restrictions interrupted recruitment. Training and travel routines were in flux. Now a growing number of universities around the country are saying students and faculty will be required to get a coronavirus vaccine before they can step foot on campuses this fall. I asked Joe if he thinks the athletes at SIUE would be willing to be vaccinated to ensure a smoother season next year. Ultimately, I think that if it is something that is going to help Sports get back to normal and their routine get back to where they expect it. I would imagine that most of them would be open to that idea. Even with all the challenges, squads did make it onto the court, but the experience was different. Instead of the roar of the crowds, gymnasiums echoed with the squeak of shoes. You know, a team can get the momentum from that that crowd and they can get a lift and that's not there. Some players will get a redo. The NCAA is offering another year of eligibility due to COVID. We have a women's basketball player, uh, a local player actually from Bethalto, and this would have been her senior year, but because of the extra year of eligibility that athletes are getting, she is going to come back and play another year. Meanwhile, athletic programs will have to wait for more guidance on next season. A year ago, we were saying, well, I can't wait to get to the summer when, when things are going to start opening up. And, and then it was sort of like, oh, well, maybe at least by the fall when we get back to school, things are going to. And it was every time we said that, 
It didn't happen. Pot says on the plus side, athletes learn to be flexible and athletic programs developed practices to mitigate exposure, all lessons that could transcend sports and COVID-19. Our athletic director likes to, to tell us, you know, that, that those of us that are going to be successful are going to be able to embrace that ambiguity and embrace the unknown. Megan Lynch, KMOX News. Megan does such a great job with these. Fantastic. And much kudos to her. Tomorrow will be her last one of the week in the series. During Total Information AM, you can catch that in the morning. Joining us after the break to talk about packing the Supreme Court, friend of the show, Brad Young, coming up on Overnight America KMOX. He's a partner at Harris Dow Fisher and Young. Brad Young, how are you? Doing great, Ryan. Thank you. So glad to have you back on the show tonight. And with all the news this week about the Supreme Court, we knew that this idea was floated around. Even uh, last week, they started to talk about it. But then you have President Biden talking about putting a commission together to investigate changes in the court system, one of which would be adding Supreme Court justices, uh, packing the court. And there's been a lot of pushback for this because before the election, it was an idea that he really tried to skirt around. He was very nervous to approach this. And President Trump rightfully pointed out if he's not answering it, it means he probably wants to do it. And he's just afraid to say it. So here we are. Part of this commission is to look at adding Supreme Court justices. And I know that you follow the Supreme Court and you're in all these lawyer circles. Generally speaking, what do lawyers think about this move? It's interesting you ask that, Ryan. I've had this conversation with multiple attorneys, uh, on the right, on the left, in the center, and some I didn't even know where they are. And pretty much uniformly, everyone I've spoken to has been against this. Hmm. Uh, just because there's a, there's a lot of reasons why this is a bad idea. But, but primarily, keeping the judiciary separate from manipulation by political branches, Ryan, that, that was one of the main reasons uh, for the American independence from Great Britain. I mean, even Chief Justice William Rehnquist once described judicial independence as the crown jewel of our system of government. Mm -hmm. And this kind of act of packing the court really turns uh, an independent judiciary on its head and makes it no different than a political body, just like Congress or the White House. So pretty much most attorneys are against this. Uh, and uh, and there's very good reasons to be against this. There's that one quote from Jonathan Turley, who does a fantastic job analyzing things like this. I really enjoy his take on matters of the law, and he tweeted out uh, some comments and said that um, this is nothing short of a hostile takeover. It would reduce the court to a glorified FCC with life tenure. So stacking the court in that way, adding extra justices in order to get the tilt that you want— and if you are uh, a Democrats, I can see why that would be appealing to some of them, a few that were part of that committee uh, going out there and singing its praises. What do you think of what Jonathan Turley mentioned about uh, this is this is basically watering the down the court and this is essentially nothing short of a hostile takeover? Sure, because look at this like a chess game. OK, let's play this three or four moves ahead. If President Biden did this and he packs the court, I think they're talking about adding an additional four justices, and it turns it to 13. And then the next time the Republicans come into power, uh, then they add an additional four justices. Well, in a generation, you're going to have like you know 47 people on the Supreme Court, 
and it's truly going to be nothing more than an administrative body. So Jonathan Turley is exactly right. But but getting back to the issue about a lot of times uh, uh, liberals are in favor of this, you know, there's an arch-conservative, maybe you've heard of her. Her name is Justice Ginsburg. You remember her? <laughs> yeah. That arch-conservative Justice Ginsburg? I mean, even she said that nine is the best number for the Supreme Court. And she personally opposed court packing because, and I'm, I'm quoting here uh, from one of her writings, because it would undermine the safeguards for judicial independence, which are as great or greater here than any place else in the world, unquote. So even Justice Ginsburg was against this, uh, because that judicial independence, Ryan, is what makes our court system different than Cuba. Mm-hmm. It's what makes it different, different than Venezuela. Okay, and so even if... Even if uh, uh, liberals don't like Justice Amy Coney Barrett or Brett Kavanaugh, they, they can dislike specific justices and how they rule, but their independence is still sacrosanct. I mean, look at David Souter. David Souter was, was appointed by Bush 41 as, as to be an arch-conservative. Well, he turned, he turned left faster than Indy 500 drivers <laughs> uh, on the racetrack, okay? And so, but he was still independent. And that's the beauty of the Supreme Court, and this would destroy literally the entire concept of an independent judiciary. Don't you just love the idea of larger government, too, just continuing to add more and more pieces to the courts? Oh, sure. Yeah, that's just what we need, more government. (laughs) I guess technically speaking, let's say there is a Republican in the White House uh, eventually, and they look at this, could they just slash the number of justices? Could they say, oh, we're just going back to uh, nine and we're just going to arbitrarily cut someone off the court, or is that not even possible? Uh, you know, that's never, ever been proposed. It certainly is possible because the Constitution does not specify the number of Supreme Court justices. That's something that's done by Congress. And the last time Congress tried to tamper with this mm-hmm. uh, was during the FDR administration. When Franklin Roosevelt was president, and the Supreme Court would not back his his big government programs, uh, he threatened to, to pack the court back then. Mm-hmm. And even back then, the Senate Judiciary Committee had a commission because that's what that's what politicians do. They create commissions. And even back then, uh, the the Senate Judiciary Committee commission on this said this was a bad idea for the exact reasons we've talked about. It would destroy the independence of the judiciary. So uh, uniformly, this is a bad idea. Everyone over history has has agreed this is a bad idea, except the current progressives who think it's a great idea because they want to do anything to grab more power and to institute uh, big government programs and it's just, it's a bad idea. Even Justice Ginsburg agrees it's a bad idea. <laughs> and surprisingly enough, Nancy Pelosi said that this wouldn't actually see uh, a vote on the House floor, which kind of surprised me. I thought that she would be all on board with it after her threats last year. Well, what she said, Ryan, was she said this bill would not come up for a vote because she wants to wait to see what the commission decides. And, and I read that as saying in government speak, what that is, is I need more cover to back hacking the court. And that's what commissions are. They're simply cover for politicians. And so if this blue ribbon panel, they always call them blue ribbon panel or a task force or, or some other euphemistic name, when that comes out, uh, that would give politicians like Nancy Pelosi cover. Now, the one thing that would have to change, though, is that the Senate would have to eliminate the filibuster rule. 
because there is no way there is it would be impossible to get 60 senators to buy off on this scheme which is what it is and so in order to effectuate this scheme the senate rules would have to do away with the filibuster which is one of the reasons why chuck schumer is behind changing the filibuster rules so that he would only need 50 votes plus kamala harris to get something like this passed and so watch the filibuster rule very carefully because that will tell you whether or not this proposal will ever see the light of day you know i know you read a lot of news articles maybe i missed this one so um has it been said yet by chuck schumer or someone along those lines it's always someone that's pretty far left that would bring something like this up the idea that, well, because you don't support dropping the filibuster, it means that uh, you're also not in support of adding to the Supreme Court, which is the fair thing to do. Thus, since you don't want to add to the Supreme Court, you must be a racist. <laughs> Have they drawn that conclusion yet? <laughs> well, I haven't seen it put like an equation, A plus B equals C. But what's interesting is, is that uh, one-time Senator Barack Obama went to the Senate floor the last time this was discussed to do away with the filibuster rule and uh senator then senator obama gave a speech you can you can see it on youtube i watched it last week where he argued passionately that the senate should never do away with the filibuster rule so if that equation that you just articulated is ever articulated that bluntly then apparently the democrats would be calling president obama a racist or they can just look back at when Joe Biden said it, too. I mean, pretty much everyone, uh, when there was some common sense in politics, could all agree on that one thing. But uh, not so much anymore. It seems <laughs> it's difficult to agree on anything anymore. So uh, here we are. A uh, commission is going to study this and come back with their results or whatever it is. This thing that's looming around, uh, not exciting too many Republicans. I think there's a lot of things that Republicans can actually use in their favor when it comes to the next election cycle, because they can just point to some of this and say, man, we told you about all these radical policies uh, right before the presidential election. They said, oh, don't worry about court packing. And here we are talking about court packing, all the things that they said you needed to worry about if Donald Trump wasn't in office, that would come true. All of a sudden is, you know, they're doing everything they can for it to come true. So just like when they say impeachment's a mistake because you lose seats that way, I think that all of these other policies that have been implemented, this is a pretty big one. I, I think people understand that messing with the Supreme Court and what is established there is a no-win situation for those trying to tamper with it. No, you're exactly right. And also, don't forget that, that we as a nation, we were sold on President Biden during the election as not being Elizabeth Warren. You know, mm -hmm. as not being AOC, as not being a progressive, that he was a mainstream, middle-of-the-road, center-left politician. And so if he, and so far his presidency has proven the opposite. Mm -hmm. I mean, his, the, the goals uh, and his legislative agenda has been far left of what he was when he was a senator. Mm -hmm. And so that's definitely going to come into play in the midterm elections, because we've already seen, like I believe it was the mayor of uh, North Las Vegas, Nevada, who was a Democrat, he suddenly switched to be a Republican, because he said, I don't want to be a part of a party of socialists. Mm -hmm. And so he switched parties just last week. Mm -hmm. And I think if we see much more of this, you're going to see a trend of people saying, this is not what I voted for. I did not vote for Elizabeth Warren in a suit 
which is so far <laughs> is what we've seen from President Biden is Elizabeth Warren wearing a tie. And that's not what Americans voted for. You know what he would say. Come on, man. Come on, man. Come on, man. Yeah. <laughs> of course, he would look cool doing it with the shades. Uh, <laughs> yeah. or, he would, or he would send his dog after me if I said that. I'm not sure which. Oh, but, yeah, no kidding. Uh, <laughs> uh, but that, but that, that, is, that is not what Americans voted for. So are you going to make an appearance on Hancock & Kelly this week? Uh, I don't know. I usually get that uh, text message uh, on uh, either late Thursday night or early Friday morning. So <laughs> we'll have to wait and see. And, yeah. and uh, But always enjoy being on with Hancock and Kelly. Uh, those guys are great and a lot of fun. Well, we love having you here, and we always get so much uh, great listener feedback whenever you are uh, doing the show. So Brad Young, partner at Harris Style Fisher & Young, thank you so much for coming on tonight to Overnight America. My pleasure. And he joins us on the Bomberito Automotive Group guest line. This is Overnight America, KMOX. Air Force Brigadier General Jim Demarest is on a mission. He would like to see someone honored with the Medal of Honor, an unsung hero as part of the war in Kuwait. He joins us now on Overnight America. Thank you so much for coming on today. Hey, thanks very much for having me. And I'm glad to share the story of uh, an American hero, Captain Steve Phyllis. Why don't you tell us your mission and why you are on this mission to try to bring some recognition to an unsung hero? So Captain Steve Phyllis was awarded the Silver Star for bravery during Operation Desert Storm for a mission he flew on February 15th of 1991. And uh, the Silver Star is evidence that Steve is a hero but I've spent some time investigating his mission and believe that perhaps we could review uh, and more thoroughly analyze what he did and perhaps upgrade his Valor Award to the Medal of Honor, quite frankly. Mm-hmm. Why, uh, did you ever meet Steve? Yeah, actually, Steve and I uh, entered the United States Air Force Academy together as part of the class of 1982. Mm-hmm. Um, Steve and I knew each other because we were both on the boxing team Boxing was a club sport at the academy, and so we worked together. Steve and I both left-handed boxers, and neither one of us were very tall for our weight class, which means that we spent a lot of time training together, and we both developed a love for boxing uh, that carried us uh, throughout our career at the Air Force Academy. Right. Wow. So tell us, um, did you serve in Kuwait as well, or is, this, uh, is there a point where maybe you guys went in different directions? Well, we did go in different directions. We both went to pilot training. Um, I went on to fly the F-15. Steve went on to fly the A-10. We both graduated from the Air Force's Fighter Weapons School, or Top Gun, program. Steve ended up uh, as part of the initial deployment to Iraq as part of Operation Desert Shield in uh, the summer of 1990. I rotated in and served in Operation Desert Storm from September through December of 1991. So we're Mm. both Desert Storm veterans Although Steve was involved in the shooting war, my service was kind of the mop-up work after the ground war was over. Uh, I see. So part of the Top Gun program, what did that movie mean for you guys when it came out? Was it like uh, something you could uh, point to and you got bragging rights? Well, you know, it was uh, great to relate to as fighter pilots. Um, There are some things in the movie that are obviously a very Hollywood uh, centric. And that is the fact that when you look at the flying scenes, you know, the airplanes are all you know, all within the camera, and you can easily see them. In fact, what happens in aerial combat, whether it's air-to-ground or air-to-air combat, is things happen at a lot lot greater distances, which is hard for people to appreciate. But 
you know, a lot of the camaraderie, the singing, the all that type of stuff. It was great to be a fighter pilot during that time, I can assure you. Oh, that's neat. So, okay, you guys go into different directions. Uh, you, you um, uh, after training for a while, you, you have different missions, different jobs inside of the military. How d- much contact did you have with Steve at the time? Did you guys stay close? You know, we didn't stay close, but we had similar experiences. Went to pilot training at the same time, went to lead in fighter training at the same time. He and I went through the Top Gun program in the same year, but uh, we, we did not connect. And kind of the interesting thing about serving in the military is that, you know, you can spend time together and then go in different paths. When you come back together, it might be a year or three years or five years or 10 years. It's as if you saw each other every day. So mm-hmm. we shared a lot of similar experiences, what's, which is what's allowed me to investigate and kind of more fully describe his heroics during Desert Storm. Mm. Joining us here is Air Force Brigadier General Jim Demarest, and we're talking about a friend of his, U.S. Air Force Captain Stephen R. Phyllis. And we he was someone that was awarded and recognized for his work, but now you're out to try to get him the Medal of Honor. I'm curious, um, going back to your time serving, is I guess I don't know how this works. When you guys go in different directions, people you know, how do you catch word when someone that you were close to and someone you knew may have been involved or may have uh, died in the line of duty? So I was flying F-15s at Holloman Air Force Base in New Mexico in 1991 when Desert Storm kicked off. And so we had access to classified information and reports about how the war was being conducted. And uh, Steve was shot down and listed as missing in action on the 15th of February of 1991. And, um, It wasn't until quite a bit after that that we learned his fate, but um, I took an interest because I knew Steve and, um, you know, Desert Storm was the first combat that we as an Air Force had experienced since Vietnam, and I've all followed it very closely. It turns out that Steve uh, was missing in action for quite some time. It wasn't until almost a month after the ground war, March 22nd of 1991, when the wreckage of his aircraft was discovered and his fate was actually solidified. So I was on active duty at that time. I knew there was more to the story, uh, mm-hmm. but it really wasn't until a, a number of years later where I began to investigate a, kind of what happened and, and kind of piece together a more complete story of his Desert Storm heroics. Wow. When you were piecing this together, uh, you know, I always assumed when an, uh, an incident like this happens overseas and it involves, you know, flying and you're talking about some pretty heavy equipment, that there would be a full investigation done by the military. There would have all of this laid out. It would be easy for you to read a report. But when you were going back looking into this, did you find there were a lot of empty spaces and blank parts of the story that you had to figure out for yourself? Yeah, you know, your instincts are actually excellent because in peacetime, the Air Force and all the military services do a very extensive analysis after an airplane crashes. In combat, it's a lot different, and especially back in the, in the early 1990s. For a combat loss, once they find the airplane, they identify the fact that someone was in it, and they reach a conclusion that, okay, the airplane crashed and the pilot was dead. That is really where the investigation stopped. Um, mm. And that, that's not good or bad. It's just that's the fact. Uh, you know, we lost 28 airplanes and five helicopters during Desert Storm. And so the fact that there wasn't an extensive investigation is not, not a slight, not a dig, you know, not meant as anything other than that's just the way things were done. And so um, what I've been able to do is analyze the information available and some additional information, eyewitness accounts, audio tapes, and that 
to piece together a more complete picture of his heroics. Wow. And I've heard those stories going back to World War II, for example, when you have just this, I mean, you have so many I mean, people, a huge manpower and soldiers that are in active duty. And you talk to those that are trying to research what happened in some of these different battles. And they say things like, well, we were very much involved in defeating the Nazis and they didn't really think about the record keeping at the time. They were a little bit busy doing other things. So I can see that in times of war, how some of these things could be, uh, you know, we'll, we'll deal with this later. We got other things we need to deal with right now. That does make sense. It seems like that's always been somewhat of a military approach. You know, it has been. And uh, to the credit of the commanders in charge of Desert Storm, um, General Horner, who was in charge of the coalition air forces, personally supervised the award process. And almost all the commanders during Desert Storm had Vietnam experience, and they were committed to not repeating some of the mistakes of Vietnam, including Mm -hmm. tactical mistakes and administrative mistakes. So Steve's valor in combat did get a review of the information they had available at the time. But interestingly, General Horner only had the authority to award up to the Silver Star, which is what Steve was awarded. Anything higher than that, which in the Air Force would have been the Air Force Cross or the Medal of Honor, required a review at the Air Force level. And what I've been unable to determine at this point is whether that was done, and if so, to what extent. So what I'm trying to do is bring additional information and newly discovered facts uh, and analysis of the details that were available to try and make the case that Steve's heroics are worthy of an upgrade. Right. So at the time, where the highest level they can go was a silver star. They've learned more since then. You've uncovered more. Is there any surviving family members of Stephen Phillips? Or Phyllis, excuse yes, me. Yes, as a matter of fact, it, thanks for asking that. I spoke to his mom and dad earlier this week. They are 85 years old. They are they're doing great. Uh, Steve was from Rock Island, Illinois, and that's where his mom and dad still live. Um, you know, it's over 30 years now since Steve's shoot down and, uh, and his heroic actions during Desert Storm. And his family uh, recognizes the fact that Steve is a hero, and the Silver Star proves that, and they don't need any further affirmation about that. But at the same time, when you look at the Medal of Honor standard, which is gallantry in the face of action at risk of life above and beyond the call of duty, when you look at that standard, in my humble opinion, Steve's actions that day on February 15th meet those standards. His family will be happy um, with just getting the story out. So your listeners learning about Captain Steve Phyllis is reward enough for the family. If we get his valor award upgraded, his mom and dad, of course, would be proud, but they're proud of his sacrifice, irrespective of whatever award the military decides to give him. You know, we have a pretty large signal on 1120 AM. There could even be people listening in Rock Island, Illinois right now. It's close enough, of course. The KMOX signal reaches pretty far. You know, after the break, I wanted to talk to you about really how hard of a challenge this is and maybe some of the roadblocks you've run into. Do you mind holding on after the break? I would love to talk to you more after the break. Thanks for having me. Uh, Air Force Brigadier General Jim Demarest is joining us, and we're going to talk about his mission to try to have U.S. Air Force Captain Stephen Phyllis awarded the Medal of Honor. And what are those things that may be preventing it and what's uh, what what he wants to see done from here on out? So we'll talk to him about that after the break. It's Overnight America KMOX. 
Overnight America with Ryan Recker is sponsored by Michael's Flooring, the flooring experts. Michael'sFlooringOutlet.com On the voice of St. Louis, KMOX. Joining us is Air Force Brigadier General Jim Demarest, and he's on a mission to help get the Medal of Honor awarded to a friend of his, a unsung hero that was shot down in the early 90s. He was awarded the Silver Star. He was a U.S. Air Force Captain, Stephen Phyllis. And Jim, I'm curious with your story, you have been trying to accomplish this and you really have been making a push for it. What are the roadblocks? What what prevents this from happening? Yeah, you know, Ryan, those, those are great questions because um, there are a couple of things that really stand in the way. I think number one is that it, it's difficult to tell the story of heroism in an airplane. You know, I think a lot of us can relate to the soldier on the ground who dives on a grenade and saves his friends. It's a little bit harder story to paint the picture of how dangerous the mission was for Steve and his wingman on February 15th and the heroics that Steve displayed by staying with his wingman, uh, by circling overhead, by drawing enemy fire, uh, by dispensing high-visibility pyrotechnic flares to make him visible to the 10,000 troops on the ground. You know, these stories are hard to tell because movies and television and other things really have a hard time telling the story. So it's a little bit of an uphill battle from a perception standpoint. Um, yeah, I think the other thing that works against us perhaps a little bit is time. You know, Steve was shot down over 30 years ago. Luckily for us, um, the regulations have been changed. It used to be that you had to bring new information that was not available. Now the regulations have been relaxed a little bit. They'll allow us to reconsider previous valor awards and upgrade them and what i've tried to do is provide a more thorough analysis than has been available at the time so i'm not criticizing the process that was used back in 1991 i'm just suggesting that based upon my analysis and the advancements probably time to look at it again with a new eye toward the fact that his heroics were above and beyond the call of duty are people listening, though? Uh, you could go out and you're doing interviews like this, which I think are great. And I'm glad that you're sharing his story. And I'm sure that um, it, it probably means a lot to you that even if this is not accomplished, you're able to get his name out there. And, and that's an accomplishment in its own. But uh, on the military side, are are people listening? Yeah. Yes, they are. And, um, you know, the Air Force has a process for reviewing awards. And so I do not expect that, you know, the Department of the Air Force to come out and, and, and say, yes, Captain Steve Phyllis deserves a Medal of Honor until they've gone through their process. So we're putting together a package for the Air Force to review this award. They've got to look at it. They're going to form a board. They're going to review it. Um, and so, uh, you know, I'm confident that it will get a fair look. What we can do in the meantime is generate support. So if your listeners uh, will contact their congressman, their senator, um, anybody that they know in a position of authority or influence to help you know, promote Steve's story, share the article from Air Force magazine, talk about those heroics, that creates a momentum um, outside the Air Force and the Department of Defense that will help uh, his case and help our quest to upgrade his Valor Award. Mm, this is good. What's the process like? Uh, do you feel like this is something that could happen in the near future, or is this something that you think you're going to be fighting for a long time? I think it's a long time process. Um, it, yeah. And, you know, when I say long time, a year, 18 months, two years could be longer than that, uh, because there has to be 
uh, I have to put the package together with the help of others. I have to get witnesses to sign documents. I've got to get statements from people. And then the Air Force is going to walk through and look at it. And if the Air Force believes it's worthy of an upgrade, then it goes to the Department of Defense. And then if it passes that muster, it goes to Congress and then the White House. And none of these things happen quickly. And so it's a marathon, not a sprint. And so getting the story out now is you know, part of the process of energizing people around this and rallying. But make no mistake about it, it's a very heavy lift and it's a long process. By any chance, do you have a website or social media someplace people could look up your story if they wanted to learn more about this and what they've heard tonight? Yes, uh, thank you for asking. If they go to my author website, which is Jim Boots Demarest, that's Jim Boots Demarest.com, they click on the news link. They can download the article from Air Force Magazine. They can sign up for a newsletter. Uh, and our intention is every time we take a step forward and are able to advance the package, we're going to communicate with people. We're not going to bombard their inboxes with useless information, but we will let people know how things are progressing. To your point, it's going to take a while. And we'll let them know how things are going. We'll also be able to provide them with information how they can support this, whether it's a petition or contacting the congressman. We're going to try and make it easy for people to help us support uh, our cause of upgrading Steve Phyllis's Valor Award to the Medal of Honor. Yeah, that's a great nickname, Boots, by the way. So uh, one more time, jimbootsdemarest.com is the website? Yes, it is. All one word, jimbootsdemarest, that's D-E-M-A-R-E-S-T. If you Google that, you'll find it. Click on there newsletter, article, all sorts of information, ways to support. Thank you so much for spending time with us tonight, sharing your story, and we hope for the best for you. I really do. Thank you. Ryan, thanks so much for having me on tonight. I appreciate your time. Thank you. Air Force Brigadier General Jim Demarest uh, joins us on the Bomberito Automotive Group guest line. Very fascinating look there. All right, joining us in the next hour is a journalist that spent some time in Iraq during Saddam Hussein's tenure. Uh, What did she learn during that time? We'll find out. Coming up on Overnight America KMOX. We really need new phones. T Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling accounts to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. Protect your vehicle's engine with a full synthetic oil change and save with Mobile One at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Purchase five quarts of Mobile One full synthetic motor oil and receive a $10 O'Reilly gift card after rebate. See store for details. With your Mobile One purchase, you'll also receive two times points during Old Rewards Bonus Points Month at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts.